chapter 1 Corinthians in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, We were studying it uh, a a month or two ago, and we took a break to look at Abraham. Now we're back in it. It's uh, page 1146, if you want to follow in the Church Bible. We'll be reading uh, from it in a, a moment or two. We're into the, the part two of the book of Corinthians. I'm not, that's not like part one and part two. There's like three or four parts to it. It's not like two halves. Um, and this morning's really represents the end of the first half and kind of the beginning of, of the, the, the next section, rather, the, the first section, the second section. Do you remember it much? You, what can you remember about 1 Corinthians? I won't come down and make you all embarrassed by asking you to remember, shout out what you remember, but um, maybe you will recall that the book of Corinthians is a letter, a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, Saint Paul, as he's sometimes called in some parts of the church. Uh, Paul was a Christian believer. He was one of the leaders in the early church in the time immediately after Jesus died and rose again and returned to heaven. And he's writing this letter to a church in a city uh, called Corinth. That's why it's called to the Corinthians, and many of you will know that anyway. Um, But this uh, city, Corinth, uh, is an interesting place. There was this church that the Apostle Paul started with his team. Uh, You can read about that if you want to. Um, In Acts chapter 18, it describes the events uh, that were surrounded, the formation of this church that was growing uh, in in a a difficult context, really. We're in the early early 50s AD. It's about the AD 50 to 60 is about the time uh, that Paul is there. And so it's in the late 50s that he's writing this letter to be read out loud into the congregations of this this new church, this young church in this city of Corinth. Corinth, uh, you would have may remember from when we looked at it before, uh, was a very significant city in that area, in that part of Greece. Uh, It was originally a a proud Greek city. It was a place there where they used to have one of the kind of Olympic Games equivalents there. But about 200 years before um, this time, uh, the Romans, uh, the the city rebelled. They were proud to be Greek. And they said, we're proud to be Greek. And the Romans said, well, in that case, we'll destroy your city and wiped it out, took it off the face of the earth. Uh, And then in uh, 200 years later, Julius Caesar uh, decided to rebuild it. And, and built it as a Roman colony. So as we come and meet the Corinthians that Paul is writing to, they're living in a, a city that's kind of been reborn. It's reborn along Roman lines. It's a Roman colony. Uh, and it's, it, it's proud of its Roman uh, ways. It's laid out like the city of Rome. It's got, you know, it's kind of Roman with a capital R. Uh, there it is sitting in the middle of Greece. Well, in that city, there's this Christian community. There's a church there. And many people in the church were from pagan backgrounds. They weren't from, you know, backgrounds that believed in God, or in one God. Certainly, they were, they believed in a whole variety of gods. There were those there who had grown up in Jew- Judaism. They were Jewish converts. You read about how the church started with Jewish converts in Acts chapter 18. And as we read Corinthians, especially in this second section of it, as we go through it in these few weeks, you'll see that there are quite a number of references to Old Testament history, to what God said in the Old Testament that the Jewish people in the congregation would have been very familiar with. 
But not just them, of course, because the believers at Corinth were believers because they believed and they'd come to know that Jesus Christ was God's Messiah. Jesus Christ was the one that God had promised who would be coming into the world as God's King, who would bring God's deliverance, God's intervention in people's lives. All that the Jewish people were expecting, Jesus came to give. And so they were a community centred around Jesus, God's King, uh, and there they were. But they were, do you remember, having just a few problems in their church. Actually, not just a few, there were lots of them. And we're going to be seeing in this second section of the book quite a few of these problems that are coming out. So far, do you remember what the problem, the big problem so far has all been about? Do you remember that? Rack your brains back. And a, sorry? Yeah, Apollos and Paul, there were, there were divisions and fights. They were kind of dividing up around particular cultures. Some people were saying, I'm for this one. Some people were for, for saying, I'm for that one. And it was a real issue. Actually, as Paul talks about it, as we read in these first uh, four chapters, we're realizing that this problem of fighting is not the real illness, as it were. It's a symptom. Then when the medical students are back yet, you know the importance between determining between what is a symptom and what is actually the cause. And Paul, in these first three or four chapters, is making it very clear that this issue of dividing up around popular teachers is not the cause itself. It's a symptom of something actually uh, that was quite serious. Because what was happening was that the Corinthians were just following their culture. This is the way people in Corinth behaved. I did a bit of research over the summer, uh, reading quite an interesting book, uh, based on the archaeology and background, and just somebody's dug up uh, all the information that there is about Corinth around this time. And it's a fascinating book, talking about how their society operated. And one of the ways that it operated was that in in these kind of Roman or Greek cities, uh, you needed people in your city who could who were good speakers, who could could declaim. There was the word that was used for it. Who could could kind of represent you, like almost like the city lawyer or people who who could teach you stuff. This is nothing to do with Christianity. This was just generally in the culture. And these people would show up in the city and they'd have meetings and they'd have competitions and you know they'd be like superstars and they'd have followers and. And, you know, it's really quite interesting to read about what, what they were like. Now, the thing is, the Corinthian Christians were treating their leaders just like they would treat these kind of traveling uh, philosopher teachers that were coming into Greece. That was the problem. And like these, uh, these kind of philosophers and teachers and people that were grabbing for celebrity status and headlines and, you know, doing all kinds of things to, to get people and to pay them and to, uh, to kind of accept them as their personal teacher, uh, they were, it was all about personality, it was all about skill, it was all about making a great impression. And the Christ, as I say, the Corinthians were treating their Christian teachers and leaders like that. And really, the Corinthians were becoming good Romans, really. They were just like all the other people in their city, except they had a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on the top, you know. Like a pizza, you know, with a bit of extra topping. Uh, and, And the thing is, Paul is saying, that's not it. That's not it. If you follow that mindset, and this is the real problem, 
you end up losing the message of the cross. Because God doesn't work the way your culture works. It's not about celebrity. It's not about great gifts. It's not about you know who can impress with the greatest idea or the best philosophy. The cross is about something else. God works in a very different way. So Paul is telling these Corinthians all through this letter to grow up. To stop behaving like spiritual teenagers, just wanting to follow the fashion of the world around them. Um, uh, we had the idea, we we're thinking about what, what teenagers are like. And you know, one of the things is they do follow fashions, don't they? You know, they're in the tribes and what they call emos and emus and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, goths and, you know, whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Corinthians were like kind of spiritually, philosophically behaving in that kind of way. They want to grow up. They shouldn't be shaped by the world around them. Paul, in his letter, wants them to see that following Jesus has a different mindset. That's why he talks about the thinking in the culture around them. And and some of you might might have found chapters 1 and 2 a bit heavy because Paul's talking about all this stuff about the wisdom of the world and and how it's different from the wisdom of God. That's why Paul has gone into all that stuff because it's the way they were thinking that was the problem. The way that of thinking that was in their city around them and their culture was just kind of soaking into them Uh, and instead of them being transformed by Jesus they were being squeezed to be, as I say, basically pagan, Roman, with a bit of Jesus sprinkled on top. And that's not what God wanted for them. And Paul shows them that the message of the cross is not the world's way. He shows them that God uses different leaders, that leaders aren't in competition with one another, like, like travelling uh, declaimers in Corinth. He says, no, look, God used Apollos, God used me, says Paul. God was doing stuff, he was making it grow. It's, it's a different way to the way you're thinking about it, so stop being divided about it. He says that actually you believers, you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to your superstar leaders like, you know, Corinthian people belong to, you know, their different favourite teachers. No, actually those teachers belong to you because they belong to Jesus and you belong to Jesus. And the big deal is that you all belong to him. That's the important thing. It's all about Christ. Now all of that is in the first section from chapters 1, 2, 3 and into chapter 4. If you missed it and you want to catch up, then you might want to uh, go online, www.portswood.org, um, and then you can you know, listen to some of the messages. Perhaps the first one would be a good one to listen to, because that gives a lot of the background to Corinth, and maybe the, the, the most recent one before this, at the end of that series. But let's look and see where we go from how. Let's look at chapters 4 now, verse 6 and 7. Uh, and see what Paul is saying to them. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos, he was one of the other apostles, for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So he's kind of giving them a bit of a review here, isn't he? What's the story so far? He's kind of summarizing where he's got to. That's why, although the second section begins at chapter 5, I wanted to do this today because it will get us kind of back into where we are in Corinthians. Where he's got to, there he says, look, he says to them, I've said these things, why 
so that you won't be proud. You will not take pride, verse 6, in one man over against another. The word there in the original, it comes uh, several times, is the word puffed up. Remember we talked about bloated egos uh, last time. We are here in this passage. They, Corinthians had these immense bloated egos. You know, I suppose they were, they were worse in their egos like women are supposed to be when they meet and talk about stuff over coffee, if you believe the adverts, you know, bloating. Only it was about egos that um, they're talking about. So I'm sure, ladies, you don't talk about that when you meet coffee and have coffee. I hope you don't, but um, I think it's a myth that the advertisers of yogurt products are trying to uh, get you with. But as far as their egos were concerned, they were bloated. And Paul says, look, you're going beyond Scripture. And Paul, in these first three, four chapters, has quoted a lot of Scripture, actually. Quite a lot about it, uh, of it, about what God thinks about boasting. And you can uh, read that through. And Paul is saying, look, you're, you're going beyond that. You're dividing up around your egos. And look, you've forgotten, actually, that what you're so proud of is simply what God has given you anyway. He says that. He says, look, you think you're so great, but whatever you've got, you've been given it by God. And as we thought last time, you know, once you forget that something is a gift, you forget who gave it to you, don't you? And then you can also not just forget who gave you, you forget why they gave it to you. And you can even begin to forget what it is, because you get so full of yourself. And that's what Paul's saying to them. So he's saying, look, you Corinthians, you're being pulled away from the gospel. You're being pulled away from the cross. The way you're thinking is pulling you away from God's truth. And that's going to come out in all kinds of ways, and we'll see it particularly through uh, this next section of Corinthians. They'd begun so well, as we read in chapter 1, but they'd slip back and they need to grow up God's way. And as we rejoin the letter, Paul brings this section to a climax. He's preparing for the way he's going to help them with some very specific issues. And there are, if you read on chapter 5, there's some extremely specific and quite thorny issues that he's going to deal with in the next few chapters. It's going to be an interesting ride, I think, for all of us. Some of these were questions that they'd asked him in a letter. Quite often you read, he says, now concerning such and such, concerning, they'd written a letter or they'd asked him and said, Paul, look, could you help us out? We don't quite know what to do about this or that. What about people who, are, who aren't married? Should they get married or do you think it's better if they don't get married? What about people who are single? What about, you know, people, should they be taking one another to court when they have disagreements? That kind of stuff, you know. What about, you know, people, you know, some people like to eat meat that's offered to idols. Should we do that or shouldn't we? And Paul answers some of these questions in these next few few chapters. But all of these problems are there because their culture is pushing them to behave in ways that take them from God's best. Now, we live in a powerful culture, don't we? Our culture is powerful in moulding our thinking. We actually are living, you may not realise this, I hope you do, in a time of real crisis, aren't we? It's not just financial, it's at every level. Actually, some scholars would say that the Corinthian city was going through quite a lot of crises at the point Paul is writing this letter. And it's at these critical points that the culture is even more powerful in shaping us 
Amoni. As a friend of mine, you know him, lots of you know this guy. Um, uh, often he's, he's very funny, he's very witty. And uh, you, know, you know when someone says something and someone says, I resent that, you know, people say that. But he's got a way of saying, if you say something, he, he'll say, I resemble that. <laughs> and, you know, as we, go, as we go through this and as Paul challenges us, um, let's, let's not go, I resent that. Let's be a bit more honest and say, I think I resemble that. If I stop and think, maybe my culture is pushing me in this way or that way. So ask yourself as we go through, do I recognize this? Is this getting into the way I'm thinking or I'm behaving or reacting? But Paul says, look, there is help. And we're going to look at it now. Let's move on into the next uh, few verses. Verse 8. And let's read them. There's help coming. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. And that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, and we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We are cursed. We bless when we are persecuted. Sorry, when we are persecuted... uh, Sorry, I missed some. Verse... uh, 12. Well, I've jumped a verse. Sorry. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. Verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answered kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of this world. Paul gives them a reality check. Now, if I read this in Greek to you, you'd be really impressed. <laughs> I might have done a better job than reading it in English just now. You'd be impressed because you'd think, wow, you can read Greek, and I can't. So that would be impressive. It would be miraculous. Uh, if you understood Greek and you were hearing it in the congregation in Corinth, you would be well impressed. You know, These letters were meant to be read out. And Paul writes this, so the scholars tell us, in the style of their big stars. These people, these big stars, the teachers they wanted to follow in their cities and so on, what they did was the the word used is they declaimed. You know, they they didn't just make a speech, they declaimed. They made a powerful statement. And this is a powerful statement in that style. Paul has been really ironic because he's using that style to kind of undermine what they were believing in the way they were living. What's a reality check? Do we know what a reality check? Well, it's where you think the situation is one way or you think you can do something um, and you can't. It's in your head, (laughs) but actually when it comes to it, it's not as you think it is in your head. There was a great, I don't know whether some of you remember Catherine Tate's sketch shows. Uh, she had a character there called Helen Marsh. If you watch the shows, you'll remember. It was a basic standing joke. This was a lady who could always do, she'd say, oh, I can do that. And she could never do it. And, uh, you know, the comedy was in watching her fail at trying to do these things. And the Corinthians are having a reality check. 
You see, they see themselves as kings. They see themselves as having everything. Paul says, you see yourselves as rich. You see that everything is fine for you. You're just at the top of your game. You're the best church in Corinth. You're the greatest people. You've got the greatest teachers in your group. That's what you're like, says Paul. And he he says it in this amazing kind of flowery way. But he says, without us, he says. And then he says, you've got this, but what? see what he says? God has put us. God has placed us. You're where everything is fine. You've arrived. You're fantastic, says Paul. But we're somewhere else. Who's the we? He says, we apostles, he says. Paul's Paul saying, Paul's saying, you may think what you're like, but you've lost touch. You've lost touch with the actual foundations. You are not being authentic. He said, look, you think you're so marvellous, but we're the apostles who brought you the gospel. That's not where we are. What's happened to you? What's happened to your authentic way of living? And look at the contrast. Paul piles it up. Look where he is. He says that we're like captives at the end of a procession. Now, in the Roman times, uh, when a general came back into Rome, they didn't have the media, they didn't have the kind of TV. How did you make a big point about a fantastic victory? You had a great procession, came through a triumphant arch, and at the back of the, uh, of the procession were the captives, the ones you've beaten, you know, the ones who probably were going to be executed. Paul says, as far as Wiggins and we apostles, we're like that. We're at the back of the procession. Or he says, we're like the last people to come into the arena. And in the Roman games, who was last into the arena? How did the show end? With the people who were going to get eaten. Or the gladiators who for sure half would be killed by the other half. Paul says, that's where we are. That's where we apostles are. We, the people who bought you the gospel, we suffer. We work hard. We're brutally treated. He says, we're like the scum of the earth. It says refuse here. It's trash. The actual word Paul uses, you know when you've got dinner on your plate, you've got a bit left over, and you scrape it off and you put it in the bin? That's the word he uses. That's what we're regarded as, as apostles. This is where we are, we are, says Paul to them. I mean, if he could have, it's a bit like saying, we're like something, you know, on the bottom of your shoe. That's our position. We're so different from you, Corinthians. And he says, look at how we react. Now, the superstar orators, you know, one of the great things was that they knew how to deal with hecklers, you know. They could, they could do a great put-down. So if you criticised an orator, you know, one of the great superstars, whack, they'd be back at you. Or if they were a stoic, they'd just turn it around and say, oh, well, I'm a stoic, so, you know, what you're, you may be trying to think you're hurting me, but it's doing me the world of good, because that's my philosophy. Even Jewish people in the, Apoc- in the Apocrypha, in the book of uh, Maccabees, um, it says that there that if you're being martyred or persecuted, you should make sure the people martyring you jolly well know they'll be in hell because of it. Paul says... When we're abused, we don't say anything. We react kindly. Who are they like? What does that remind you of? Jesus. The cross, isn't it? The cross. That's the alternative. It's not just how we're saved. It's not just a transaction. It is that. It's not just an idea. It's got a lot of truth locked into it. It's that as well. 
Paul says it's a, a readjustment to life in a completely different way, a way that is completely different from the world around it, a way that is uh, going in the other way to the culture. Do we get pushed away from the cross by our culture? Do we lose touch with the apostles, as it were? I mean, the Corinthians were losing touch with the apostle, the apostle Paul. Do we lose touch with the New Testament? The apostles wrote the New Testament. Do we lose touch with the Jesus who suffered, who died, who was willing to, to take abuse, to be at the bottom of the queue, the end of the pile, the weak, the helpless? Are we willing to be there? It's the way of the wider church, the wider world church. That's why it's so important that we keep in touch with the world church. You see, we need to realise that our situation is not the only one. Otherwise, we can think this is kind of reality as it always should be, like you know, Western rich, Western Christians. Some of you students have been overseas. I don't know whether you've been watching that TV programme called uh, The World's Most Dangerous Roads. Any of you watched that TV programme? A couple of weeks ago, a couple of comedians, Rod Gilbert and Greg Davis, went to Nepal. And they were on the toughest road right across Nepal. And towards the end, Greg Davis, who'd never been there before, said, I, I can't, I've got to get this giving me perspective on my life. You know, the stuff I worry about is unimportant compared to what I've seen on this road. And spiritually, we need to connect with the world church. That's why we pray for the suffering church. Paul, we'll be doing that in a few weeks' time. Because we need to realise that people are living in the shadow of the cross. That it's not all like us. It's that what we think is normal with no suffering, with an easy life, with everything fantastic for us. is not necessarily the way of the apostles. It's not necessarily the way of Jesus. It's not the way the world church is, most of it. We need to get that perspective. Don't let our culture insulate us from the Jesus way, the New Testament teaching and the wider church who live under the cross. Do we need a reality check? Are we with Paul in this section? <laughs> or are we with the Corinthians? Second thing Paul says, he says we need a reorientation. Verse 14. You might be encouraged to hear these words. I am not, not writing this to shame you. <laughs> you know, if you're feeling guilty and terrible, oh dear, you know, I should give everything, oh yeah. Now, Paul says, I don't want to shame you, but I want to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is also faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. That's that word puffed up again. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing and then I will find out not only how these puffed up people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? Paul knows he's been hard on them. And he imagines how they must feel. And he explains why he's spoken in this way. And the reason he's doing it is to, to kind of reveal to them what matters most. He wants them to get back to what matters most. And what is it? And it, it kind of comes out in these verses. What matters most, he says, is Christ. It's Jesus and it's the gospel the good news. He talks of this relationship he had with them. He, he was the one who shared the gospel with them. He was like the father of their church. And that's special and that's important. 
But it's not the fact of the relationship that's important, but it's what it's based on. Do you see that there? He says, I'm your father in Christ. I was your father through the gospel. Timothy, he says, is coming to share my way of life in Christ Jesus. See, it's not just about his personal relationship. It's about Jesus. It's about my relationship with you was all tied up in this good news about Jesus. And I want you to get back in touch with that. That's the big deal for Paul. And he's appealing to them. He's saying, get back to where we were in those early days of your Christian experience. If our culture is pushing us away, let's get back to Jesus. His gospel, his life in us, his mindset. That's why we need the Bible. To re- we need to read it. We need to read the gospels. We need to interact with the Lord one-to-one. We need fellowship with other believers in house group at church or CU or Navigators or wherever it is. These things kind of take us back, reorientate us again to what matters most, Christ and his gospel. And Paul also says here, you know what matters most? He says it's to do with life, not just talk. For some reason that's not coming up. Richard, can you just give us that last point, please? Thanks. He talks about these puffed up people. They're arrogant. He says, look, they're full of talk, not real power. He says, I'll come and I'll show you the difference. Now, the difference is not he's going to come and do wonderful things and zap them all with powerful stuff. Or even I think he's going to come and beat them up literally with a stick or anything like that. I think he's saying it with a smile on his face. He loves the guys too much. To come back. He said, I want to come back to you as a father in a gentle spirit with love. But he says, I do want you to realize that what matters most is not what these puffed up people are saying, that's all kind of dominated by their culture, but actually the power of life that is different. Because he says, you know what my life is like? He says, imitate me. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me, imitate me as far as I imitate Christ, is what he always says. He says, Timothy's going to come and show you a way of living. See, for Paul, it says, look, it's about how you live. Following Jesus is really about that. It's what matters most in the living, not the talking. Why do we need that? Do we need that power for changed living? So let's not get squeezed by our culture. It creeps into our thinking, our reactions, our behaviour and our lifestyle and it kind of goes on. Take a reality check. Are we with Jesus? Is the cross shaping our life? Or do we just see ourselves according to our own standards? We need the New Testament, we need the Holy Spirit, we need connections with the wider world church so that we really know where we truly are. And let's make sure we're close to what matters most, Christ and his gospel shared in relationships, lived out in life together, as Paul did, living it, not just talking about it. Because the kingdom of God is not talk, he says, it's power. Power to be different. Power to be like Jesus. Power to live the cross in our lives, day by day. Let's commit ourselves to that. If you want to pray it through with somebody, there'll be a chance afterwards. Come down to the front here and someone will pray it with you. If there's something in your life you think, yeah, that's about the culture. It's not about Jesus. I need to get back to the cross. I need to get back to the good news. Well, come and share that with a person if you'd like to. uh, and, And they'll pray with you.
But let's continue as we respond in worship and praise.